Well, thanks so much. Kim and the band will be back later. I'd invite you to grab a seat. I'd love to extend a warm welcome as well. My name is Chris. If you're new, if this is your first time, you're joining us uh, a little bit through a series that we're doing here at Beyond called I Can't Believe in a God Who. We're really excited about this series, mainly because you helped us craft it. A couple of weeks ago or a couple of months ago on our social page, we said, hey, there's a, there's a question that we, we get lots of questions and we want to answer some of your questions. So we just put up on our pages, I can't believe in a God who, and we asked you to fill in the blanks. Last week, uh, sorry, in part one, a couple of weeks ago, we launched the series. We kind of just laid a little bit of a foundation. And, and the way we laid the foundation to launch the series was we said that maybe the gods that you struggle to believe in never existed to begin with. Then last week we looked at and we addressed the question that that someone asked. They said, how come uh, I can't believe in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people? Uh, If you want to listen to it, if some of those pique your interest, you can jump onto our SoundCloud and you can listen to parts one and two next week. Next week we're finishing up the series with the most asked question that we had. A whole heap of people asked this question. uh, And and the next week is, I can't believe in a God who sent his son to die. So that's where we're going. But tonight, uh, tonight, this is the question that someone asked. We don't know who asked it, but this is someone who asked it. I can't believe in a God who... It'll come up in a second. I can't believe in a God who... No, nah, we'll get there. Um, I can't believe in a God who uh, I can't hear slash doesn't seem to be working directly in my life. We're having some technical issues. We'll get that back up in a second. There we go. I can't believe in a God who... Our tech team do an incredible job. Uh, there's a lot of pressure on them when it doesn't work. So they do awesome. But the question is, I can't believe in a God who I can't hear slash doesn't seem to be working directly in my life. And that word directly, I highlighted that. The person who asked it, it wasn't highlighted. But the reason I highlighted it is for a lot of us in this room, if you've ever gone through a period of time in your life where maybe you've cried out to God, or maybe you've asked God to turn up and you've you've said, God, I don't even know if I believe in you, but if you want me to believe in you, you need to show up, and God hasn't. There are a lot of different ways that that word directly can be interpreted. For some of you, maybe you prayed a prayer to God and you said, Lord, uh, God, this is the deadline I need you to show up by. And then God didn't show up by that deadline. And you felt that he wasn't, that he wasn't answering, that he wasn't working directly in your life. Maybe for some of you, you had a big life decision to make and you weren't sure which decision to make. Maybe it was uni related, maybe it was school related, maybe it was work related or relationship related. And you said, God, I really need some advice. I really need some guidance. I need you to send me someone or send me, give me some wisdom. And God just seemed to be quiet. You're like, God, you just don't seem to be working directly in my life. And so, um, or maybe for some of you, uh, you needed help. There was just, you, you, you know you needed help. It wasn't so much guidance, you weren't wrestling with a decision, but you needed help with something specific. And you said, God, I need you to send someone specific to help me. And God just didn't. And for whatever reason, you said, maybe, God, I can't see you working directly in my life. You seem to be silent. I can't seem to hear from you. Why is it that everyone else at church or all my friends seem to hear from you? But why is it that you seem so distant to me? And I want to just do something um, that we, we don't ever normally do this, but I want you to raise your hand if. Raise your hand if you've ever had an experience in your life uh, like this, where God has felt distant uh, you felt like God hasn't been working directly in your life. Raise your hand if you've ever gone through a season or a period of time where, yeah, here, there the hands start to go up. Everyone's like, uh, uh. You know what you see? You can put your hands down. You know what you see when you look around the room? Is you realize it wasn't just you. Because some of us were like, oh, I'm afraid to put my hand up because I think I'm the only one who goes through it. 
Because when you go through a period of time in your life where it seems like God isn't working directly in your life, you can't hear from him, you start to feel isolated. And you start to feel like, maybe, maybe it's just me. Maybe everyone else around me has it together, but maybe for some reason God just doesn't want to talk to me. And maybe he seems distant, and maybe the reason he's distant is because of me. And isn't it true that, um, that the reason that maybe we feel that there's a bit of distance there is because we equate life circumstances to God's love for us. We look at the, the circumstances that we're experiencing around our dinner table, around our universities, around our jobs, and if everything's going well, we think, oh, God must really love me right now. Things are going well, I'm, I don't know what I did, but I must have done something and God must be really happy with me. And then all of a sudden you get that call, or, or just in an afternoon it all kind of shifts, and your circumstances start to unravel, and then all of a sudden you're kind of looking around, and you go, oh, maybe, maybe God doesn't love me as much as I thought he did. Maybe I did something. Maybe something happened and God now feels a different way about me. Well, there's a reason. There's a reason for a lot of us that we equate our life circumstances to, to, and and we say, what I'm experiencing in life must equal how God feels about me. And there's a reason that we do that, I think. And we're going to actually uh, talk about that tonight. But in case you have to leave early, in case I say something that offends you, in case you're listening on SoundCloud and your internet drops out, this is the big idea we're going to talk about. This is the big idea we're going to talk about. So if you leave with nothing tonight, take this with you. That your current circumstances are not necessarily a reference point for how God feels about you. What you're going through, what you're experiencing in life right now is not necessarily a reference point and does not necessarily equal how God feels about you. And we're going to attack this big idea. We're going to explore this question through the lens of of one individual in particular. This was an individual that Jesus had a whole lot of respect for. His name was John the Baptist. And if you don't know anything about John the Baptist, this is what Jesus had to say about John the Baptist. Jesus said, Truly I tell you, among those born of women, which is pretty much all of us, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Could you imagine if someone gave that compliment to you? Like, of everyone born, you're the greatest. Like literally now, when everyone's like, I'm the man, John is the man that the standard is like measured against. Like Jesus is like, this guy, no one is greater. No one has ever been greater than John the Baptist. So Jesus held this guy in such high regard, but John went through some incredible uh, circumstances in his life. And some of the circumstances, some of the situations that John went through caused him to say, hey, God feels a little distant. Maybe, Maybe God doesn't love me anymore. And I want to look at some of those circum- that's uh, one particular circumstance with you tonight. But to, to kind of help you get a, an idea of why that circumstance has occurred and kind of help you get into the story, I want to give you a little bit of a quick history lesson. And before some of you sit there, and I know what you're like, you're like, oh, it's history, boring, I'm going to switch off. This kind of history that I'm just going to get, brief you up on, this may make you want to actually open your Bible for the first time ever. For some of you, you know, you've never ever opened the, the collection of, of writings that uh, we call the Bible. You, you've never even uh, really thought about opening it. Some of you have no idea what's in it. This will make you change your mind because this history reads like a soap opera. And this history, to get us up to speed, uh, starts with a guy called King Herod the Great. And King Herod the Great was essentially one of the most ruthless rulers that ever lived. One of the most ruthless kings that ever walked the face of planet Earth. He was, uh, had 10 wives throughout his life, and uh, he murdered one of them. 
He had 15 children to those 10 wives. He killed two of his sons because he heard a rumour that, he, that, that, uh, that they were going to try and take his kingdom over. So he just decided, don't even bother verifying if that's true, just off with their heads. Uh, this was a guy that was really insecure, really a little bit self-obsessed. And, and uh, in fact, there were some wise men who once came to King Herod and said, hey, King Herod, uh, we've heard a rumour that there's a, a new king in town, but he's only a baby. Uh, and King Herod didn't like that. And so what King Herod did was he went into a town called Bethlehem and he slaughtered every single male boy under the age of two so that none of these, uh, no boy that these wise men were talking about could ever come up and take his throne. This guy was ruthless. And what happened was King Herod the Great, uh, when he died, divided his kingdom amongst some of his sons. Now, you can imagine what you're going to grow up like if that's your dad. If that is your example for like how you handle some of your battles, oh, my sons don't like me, off with their heads, you can only imagine the way some of his th- sons thought about problem solving. And so what happened was King Herod uh, divided his kingdom among his three sons. Uh, one of them was called Archelaus. He's got a pretty awesome name, uh, but he's not really super important to the story. Uh, then the other two, one was called Herod Antipas, and the other one was called Philip. Philip, uh, so, so they kind of, yeah, Archelaus, Herod Antipas, and Philip. Jeez. So unimaginative. Anyway, Philip gets the raw end of the stick again because Philip falls, meets a, a girl called Herodias. And Philip falls in love with Herodias and they get married. And everything is going well until one night Herodias has had a little bit to drink and she stumbles in on Herod Antipas. And Herod Antipas, Philip's brother, is there and Herod Antipas goes, I think I love you. And there's some smooth R&B music playing in the background. <laughs> They've both got a hand. And Herodias goes, I think I love you too. And so what happens is that Herodias, uh, Herodias leaves Philip, marries Herod Antipas. And so these two get married, kind of just go off into their kingdom. Philip's kind of rejected now. Archelaus is just doing his thing. Philip, Philip already had a wife. He had the bad name. Now he's like single with the bad name. And Herod Antipas is married to Herodias. Enter into the story John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, for those of you who don't know, has a really, really famous cousin. Some of you may have heard of his cousin. His name was Jesus. And John the Baptist, if you want a kind of a bit of an idea of what he looks like or what his MO is, he is the original hipster. Some of you think you're hipster because you buy your clothes from Vinnie's. John the Baptist used to weave his clothes from camel hair. Like, that was how hipster he was. John the Baptist lived in the Judean wilderness because mud huts were too mainstream for him. He would live out in the Judean wilderness and he would eat locusts and wild honey. Yet, somehow, when he's living out in the Judean wilderness, making his clothes out of camel hair, eating his locusts and wild honey, somehow people hear about him. In an age where there was no social media, in an age where where you couldn't just post it on a blog online and get people there, thousands and thousands of people would come out into into the Judean wilderness to sit and listen to John the Baptist communicate. Because he was an absolutely fantastic communicator. And, and he really kind of had just one message that he used to like repeat over and over and over and over and over again. This is how you know he's good, because he only had one message, but people kept coming back. And John the Baptist's message was pretty much simple. Repent, turn away from your sins, there's a saviour coming. Repent, turn away from your sins, there's a saviour coming. And one day, as all these thousands and thousands of people are gathered around him, John's cousin Jesus starts to walk towards him. And John sees him making, Jesus making his way through the crowd and John stops 
mid-message. And he points at his cousin Jesus. And he says, look, behold the Lamb of God who comes to take away the sin of the world. John was essentially declaring to that crowd, saying to that crowd, hey, this guy, this Jesus guy, he's the one I've been talking about. This is the guy I've been telling you all about. In fact, he encouraged his followers to stop following him and start following Jesus. He was like, you need to follow this guy now. This is the guy I've been telling you about. It's time to, it's time to stop following me, follow Jesus. So John is just like so, uh, so invested, but as with a lot of public figures, he overstepped the mark just a little bit. And he heard about what was going on with Herod Antipas and Herodias and Philip. And so John started to kind of speak out against that. He didn't agree with it. And so he started to talk out against Herod Antipas. And he said, hey, what you did, Herod Antipas, was wrong. You should have never taken your brother's wife. That's just messed up to begin with. And poor Philip, Herodias, how could you turn your back for, for Philip's brother? And word got back to Herod Antipas. And he heard about it. And he did what all kings did in that day, where, day and age when they heard someone trash-talking them. He threw them in jail. And so John the Baptist went from telling people you need to follow Jesus, follow Jesus, having thousands and thousands of people around him, went to sitting behind a prison cell, wondering if he's ever going to see the light of day again. And he had some of his disciples come to him. And we find in Matthew, Matthew was a tax collector, and Matthew wrote a biography about Jesus, but he decided that this part of the story about John the Baptist was so important he needed to include it. And, and we, uh, Matthew writes this, he said, when John, who, uh, who was in prison, heard about the deeds of the Messiah, he sent his disciples to ask. In other words, he got, he got all his disciples, he goes, hey, I need you to go, I need you to go out to where now all the crowds are with Jesus, and I need you to ask him this question. And the disciples are like, sure, we'll do anything. What's the question? And the question that he said, I want them to ask, he said, I want you to ask him this. Are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? Could you imagine if you're John's followers right now? You're like, John, dude, you were the one who told us he was the one. Are you, are you sure, have you got the question right? Like, you told us he was the one and now you're in prison and you're starting to doubt a little bit. What's Jesus going to think when we like go and ask him if he's the one? But you know, they're good, so they, they kind of go up to Jesus, and you can imagine what this is like, because here comes John's disciples. Everyone knows John. John's been paving the way, and then John's disciples walk up to Jesus, and Jesus is speaking in front of this massive crowd, and they say, Jesus, we got a question. Jesus says, sure, what's the question? They say, um, John wants to know, uh, are you the one that he was talking about the entire time, or should we be expecting someone else? And this is the way Jesus answers. Jesus replied, go back to John and report to him what you've heard and what you've seen. And so then Jesus says, here's here's a brief recap in case you've got so much stuff going on. Here's a recap of what you can tell him. Tell him this. Tell him that the blind receive sight, that the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Jesus says, go back and tell him that. We sit there and we're like, oh, that's cool, that's cool. Notice what Jesus didn't say, though. Don't you find it odd that Jesus is like, this guy, there's no one greater that's ever lived than John. But Jesus doesn't say, and tell him I'm going to break him out. Tell him I'm coming for him. Don't worry, it's all going to be good, John. Jesus instead says, I want you to go back 
And I want you to tell John what he already knows. Because John would have been getting these reports. He would have been hearing about this. Jesus goes, what I want you to do is I want you to go back and I want you to tell him what he already knows. And the reason I want you to tell him is because I want you to help him begin to see outside his prison. Because isn't it true that when circumstances happen in our life, we can get so caught up in them that our circumstances actually become our prison? Circumstances and events happen in our life and we get so swept up in them that they become our prison. You unexpectedly lose a loved one. And all of a sudden, you don't know how you're going to make it through tomorrow. You don't know if there's hope on the other side. Everything was going so well and then this. You were in that relationship that you thought was going to last forever. And all of a sudden it ended. And you didn't see it coming. And he couldn't explain why. And she didn't give an explanation. And you're sitting there and you're thinking, how am I ever going to get past this? Maybe you've had a dream that you're working towards for a long time. And all of a sudden you put all your eggs in one basket and it just falls through. And you have no idea what, what, what something else, and, and you have no idea how you could love something with so much passion because you love this so much and you wanted this so bad and all of a sudden it's not there anymore. And so the circumstances of life begin to become our prison. And isn't it easy to see when someone else has let their circumstances become their prison? It's so easy because they're the people that always talk about the same thing over and over and over again. They always bring up that one relationship or that one time he said, said, that one time she said. They always bring up that same colleague at work all the time. They always say, hey, remember back when? And they're reminiscing back to that time where if only I could have just made it. And isn't it so easy to identify in everyone else? But when it comes to our life, it can just be so difficult to see outside of the prison that sometimes our circumstances lead us to. And and I get that some of you are probably sitting here tonight and you're like, okay, that's great, that's great, that's great. But what do we do if we're in the midst of it? What do we do when when we're in the midst of a circumstance and that circumstance that we're in the midst of becomes our prison and we don't know how to get out of it and we're not sure if we ever will get out of it? What do we do? I don't have all the answers, but I think, I think there's two things you could do. I think there's two things you could think about doing that won't necessarily get you out of your prison straight away, but they'll help you to begin to see outside. And when you see outside a little bit, then you be- can begin to see outside more and more and more and more until eventually, over time, your circumstances are no longer your prison. The first thing, uh, we have this thing here at Beyond uh, called For Monday. Because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful for you for the rest of the week. The first thing that you could try doing is this. Think back and remember. We've actually, uh, to kind of help you do this, we kind of created these cards and they're, they're funky looking bar tables on the way out. Um, think back and remember. Where are some times in your life when you prayed a prayer and God did come through? When are some times in your life where you weren't sure how you were going to make it through, and then all of a sudden it just seemed that God opened so many doors and put so many people in positions where you didn't think they could be, and all of a sudden God came through for you. And I want you to take some time to think back and reflect and remember all the times that God has shown up, that God's been early, 
that you didn't ask for something and that you asked for something and God gave you something more and something better than you could have ever dreamed of. I want you to think back and remember. And in thinking back and remember, remembering, I want you to recognize that your current circumstances, what you're going through right now, doesn't discount or discredit how God has worked in the past. The way you feel right now does not neglect and does not discount that God has shown up for you in the past, that God has been there for you in the past and that God will continue to be there for you in the future and maybe, maybe it's just because you're going through a period of time where your circumstances have become your prison. A second way, this is the second way, you get two, because you guys are so smart this week, you get two Four Mondays that you can try. The second way that I think you could try to get outside of your circumstances is to connect in a group. It's great, we love Sundays here at Beyond, we love kind of gathering together and and having this experience. But when you gather together on a Sunday, you sit shoulder to shoulder. And when you sit shoulder to shoulder with someone, you don't get to hear their story. And they don't get to hear your story. Because ultimately, rows don't know. And we say this all the time at Beyond, that circles are so much better than rows. Because when you are in a circle, and when you are eyeball to eyeball with someone else, you get to hear their story. And they get to hear your story. And all of a sudden, when you start to share stories, you start to realize, just like when everyone put their hand up at the start, you start to realize that, hang on a minute, maybe there are elements of my story that coincide with elements of other people's story. Maybe some people have lived a part of my story and maybe there's something I can learn by being face-to-face with them and getting some wisdom from how they handled it. And maybe the way that they got out of their circumstances, they can help me get outside of the prison of my circumstances as well. And so there, there are just a couple of things. A couple of things that you can begin to do or think about doing this week. Think back and remember and connect in a group. And the reason why I want you to begin to to do that this week, the reason why I want you to begin is because when you start to think back and remember, and when you get to hear other people's stories, is you begin to realize that just because God is silent doesn't mean he's absent. Just because God didn't show up when you wanted him to, just because you prayed a prayer and you felt like there was silence, does not mean that God is absent. Because there was a time in history where God the Father remained silent and you are glad that he did. And for those of us who follow Jesus and say that uh, Jesus is our saviour and he died on the cross for our sins, there is a time where God the Father remained silent and you are glad he did. Because just a couple of hours in in the late of night before Jesus went before his trial and was crucified, God the Son, Jesus, he prayed this prayer. He said, my father, if it is possible, let this cup of suffering, in other words, the fact that I'm going to go to the cross and I'm going to die for the sins of the world, be taken away from me. Yet I want your will be done, not mine. And if you struggle and you, you read that, and you're like, how could, God, how could God send his son to die? Come back next week, we'll address that there. But, but honestly, God, God the son prayed to God the father and said, God, if there's another way, If there's any other way, can you come up with something? Can you get me out of this? And the father remained silent. And Jesus went to the cross and he paid the price for my sin and the sin of all humanity. And you are so thankful if you're a follower of Jesus that God the father remained silent in that moment. 
But just because God was silent does not mean he was absent. Because in Jesus' death, he spoke life into all of human history. And we are still feeling the effects of Jesus' death on the cross 2,000 years later. Just because God is silent does not mean he is absent. As we finish tonight, I want to share with you the closing words that Jesus said to John's disciples. Because I think there's just a little nugget of truth, a little bit of insight that can inspire us as we go out this week, maybe a way that we've never looked at it before. As John's disciples are about to take that message that Jesus had given and are about to go back to John in the prison cell and tell him that they're getting up to leave and Jesus goes, hey, just, just come back for one second. One last thing I want you to tell John is I want you to tell him this, that blessed is anyone who does not stumble, does not stumble, does not fall away, does not leave the faith on account of me. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble because I seem distant. Does not any, uh, uh, blessed is anyone who does not stumble because they interpret my silence to mean that I'm absent. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble because they set a deadline and I didn't show up when they wanted me to. And that anyone... I'm anyone. You're anyone. When Jesus is saying that, what he means and what he's saying, and that he's saying to John and he's saying to us is, God knows your story. And God loves you. And just because God is silent right now doesn't mean he is absent, does not mean that you are not at the forefront of his mind. And just because there seems to be some distance does not mean that God has moved a centimeter off his throne and does not mean that God will not come through for you. Just maybe not in the way that you expect. Because your current circumstances are not necessarily a reference point for how God feels about you. Do not interpret God's silence as God's absence. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the words that Matthew recorded. We're so grateful that Matthew decided it was important enough to include John the Baptist's struggle. And if someone like John the Baptist, the cousin of Jesus, someone who Jesus spoke so highly of can go through these kind of struggles, then there's no wonder that that we go through these. But Lord, I pray for anyone who's right now experiencing a circumstance and that circumstance has kind of started to close in on them. And they're not sure if, ever, if they'll ever be able to see past it. Lord, I pray that you would help them either begin to reflect or connect in a group. Place people in their lives that will help them, uh, help, uh, make that able for them to see outside of their prison. Lord, that just because it seems like you're not working directly, just because it seems like they can't hear you, just because it seems like you're distant, does not mean you are absent. And does not mean that you're not working behind the scenes for them. And does not mean that you're not right on the front and center of their minds. And so, Lord, I pray for people here tonight who are maybe stuck in that spot. And maybe they've been a little bit hesitant. They've, I've been contemplating this, get it, connecting in a group for a while, but, but I haven't taken the step. But Lord, I pray that tonight would be the nudge that they need that the opportunity to get around other people who have maybe shared a piece of their story would be enough for them to get outside of their prison, to take that plunge into a group, and that through that group that their life would be transformed. And Lord, we thank you so much that as Jesus was hanging on the cross, 
that you were silent. But you certainly weren't absent. Because in Jesus' death, three days later, the tomb was empty and you spoke life into the world again. And we are so thankful that it wasn't the way that we would have done it. But Lord, we thank you that in that moment you weren't silent. That when you were silent, you weren't absent. And Lord, we pray these things. Help us to go out with confidence this week to reflect and connect. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen.